Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's January 9th, 2023, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, Happy New Year and welcome to our best of series on the Defender Bible Study. And today we are going to actually highlight a sermon that I was able to preach uh, at Shoal Creek Baptist Church in Deetsville, Alabama. And we talked uh, that day about the goodness of God in caring for uh, the orphan and the vulnerable. I'm so grateful to be able to present this to you and thankful for uh, the church family there at Shoal Creek Baptist for what they do to not only hold firm to the gospel, but also to help the vulnerable around them, both through foster care and caring for women who are walking through crisis pregnancies. Uh, Shoal Creek Baptist has just recently started Families Count, and they also are looking to the nations to see how they can serve, uh, one, for the hope of the gospel, but also to help the vulnerable and the orphans. So I hope you will enjoy this and that the Lord will use the preaching of his word. As we come this morning on this Orphan Sunday, I hope that we will understand what it means to be a child of God and what that produces in and through us. We see the deep theology found in a song like that from Romans chapter 8, from Ephesians chapter 1, from Galatians 3 and 4 that says, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now the very children of God. And as the children of God, we have the right, it says in Romans and Galatians, to cry out, our spirit cries out, Abba, Daddy, Father. So we are no longer alienated and hostile from the Lord, but we are now his very children. And and Galatians and, and Romans even says we are now heirs of Christ. In other words, this morning, because of the adoption that is yours through the gospel of Christ Jesus. You are no longer seen as a sinner, but you are seen by God the Father in the same way that he sees his son. You have been given the life of Christ through your adoption papers that were sealed in heaven. Like your pastor said, Pastor Shane, we are going to be looking at a passage this morning that, that should be somewhat familiar. I know it's the number of completion, the number of seven, but it is seven years in the book of Colossians is a long time. Uh, so I knew you'd be familiar with it. Um, a kid, I think it's only been seven months, but uh, <laughs> you've been in, in Colossians for a while. But as I was just looking to see where the Lord had been leading your faith family, I noticed you've been in Colossians. I wanted to take you back to Colossians chapter one to ultimately look at a God that has made us, that has formed us, and to see the image of God that we live in today. Today, as your pastor also said, is Orphan Sunday, and I want you to know that not only here at Shoal Creek Baptist, but literally around the world, there are other believers and other faith families that are also celebrating Orphan Sunday. As a matter of fact, this whole idea of Orphan Sunday started uh, in Africa, in a rural 
town in, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. A pastor said, I want my church to understand the plight of the orphan and the God's word and what it tells us to how to respond to the plight of the orphan. And from there was born and birthed Global Orphan Sunday. And so we gather with the saints all around the world to recognize what God's word tells us in relation to the orphan and the vulnerable child. So this morning, I want to ask us, are we willing to be inconvenienced in order to defend life? As your pastor said this last year on June 24th, 2022, a decision was made at the U.S. Supreme Court that many of us thought might never be made, but Roe v. Wade was overturned. And because of what so many, amen. And actually on the 24th, something else happened because in 2019, here in the state of Alabama, a law was passed uh, making life protected in the womb in Alabama, limiting and restricting, in many cases, abortion in the state of Alabama. So because of the decision at the Supreme Court, that law came into effect at noon on June 24th. But what I want you to see, beloved, is we cannot just believe that being pro-life is about creating laws and judicial advocacy. We now must stand up. We must be aggressively good, do aggressive good on behalf of those that are living. Today in our state, we have 9,000 kids that are in foster care. Around our country, we have 424,000 youth that are in foster care. And around the world, there are 153 million orphans that are estranged or have been separated from their family. But there's something in common with every last one of these children. Their mothers chose life. And as a pro-life people and as a pro-life generation, and as a people who know that every last one of those lives is created in the image of God, we must now walk out gospel-driven justice on behalf of those who have chosen life, on behalf of the women and the children and the vulnerable families. We've been called to care, not just for life in the womb, but life outside of the womb as well. And so I want to remind us this morning that sympathy and empathy for others should never be an excuse for apathy towards injustice. It's not enough just to be sympathetic. It's not just enough to be empathetic. But as God's children called according to his purpose, knowing that he created us in his image, we are to replicate his love of justice in the world, especially for those who are marginalized, for those who are hurting, for orphans, for vulnerable children. And so if we truly want to model a pro-life ethic that values the Imago Dei, then we will exemplify and model Christ. I love what Paul tells the church at Philippi in Philippians 2, starting in verse 2. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider yourself more significant than others. Let you not look only to your own interest, but to the interest of others as well. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and in the form of a bondservant in the likeness of man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the cross, even to the point of death. You see, being pro-life 
is about eliminating abortion, but it's not just about eliminating abortion. Being pro-life means we put our families into action to live out our passion for guarding the Imago Dei, the image of God. Being pro-life means that we defend life in such a way as to display an accurate view of who our God really is. I love what author and pastor and teacher John Piper says. He says, one erects a statue of Stalin because you want to look at Stalin and think about Stalin. You put up a statue of George Washington to be reminded of the founding fathers. Images are made to image. But what does that mean for flesh and blood? It means God created little images of himself so that they would talk and act and feel in a way that reveals the way that God is. So brothers and sisters, we bear the image of our creator. And as bearing the image of our creator, we are to reflect his glory. We are to reflect his goodness. We are to reflect his justice. And we are to reflect his gospel. We must speak out and reach out to care for the most vulnerable. So with this biblical framework, I want to take you to this book that has been such a fixture of your worship services for the past several months, to the book of Colossians. We're actually going to be in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, as we look at what it means to be an image bearer. Verse 15, he being Jesus the Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. This morning, there are five takeaways that I want us to see from this passage, reminders that I pray would lead us to the gospel and would propel us to do justice of the kingdom and would guard us through the trials and suffering that we will experience. The first takeaway from this passage that I want us to see is that all life is created by God and is precious. All life is created by God and is precious. This passage reminds us that all things were created by Christ through our Father. Our great God is the master architect, and he crafts all life together to reflect his glory. In the book of Genesis, Genesis 1.27 reminds us that God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. But we see that, that as Paul even, even reckons back to Genesis 1.27 in verse 16, he reminds us that we were not made for ourselves, 
For by him, all things were created, verse 16, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. What was it for? It was for him. All life is created by God and is precious. And we are created for him and for his glory. Beloved, all life is precious. All life has meaning. I have dear friends who adopted from the country of China many, many years ago. And my uh, friend, she is a, a sign language and ASL interpreter. And the Lord had led her to adopt this one particular little boy from China who was profoundly deaf. And of course, as is usual, she didn't just adopt one. They ended up adopting three profoundly deaf kids from China. But I remember one Sunday, Kai was about 16 years old, and he went through the baptism waters of our church. And as was our tradition, we give testimony. Whoever's being baptized would give testimony of the, the life change that had gone through them. And Kai gave the most beautiful testimony through sign language his mom interpreted for all to hear. As he said, I was born in a country where I was orphaned and seen as less than. I was deaf and I was seen as dumb and I was forgotten. But yet I was adopted into a family where even though I couldn't hear, I could be told the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Even though I had been orphaned, I was now a, a, a brother. I was a son in a family. And he said, I have come to realize who I am in Christ. And now Christ has called me one day to go back to China to share the good news with those who cannot hear. Beloved, Kai just recently finished college where he met another young lady who was profoundly deaf, also adopted from China. And their plans are truly when China opens back up from COVID to go back and to share the good news with those who cannot hear. We cannot look down upon life because of a syndrome, a disability, but we must know that all life was created by God for a glorious purpose, for a glorious purpose. So we were not created in the womb from some simple conjugal act of a man and a woman, but we were knit together by a creator, formed together in the most inward parts in order to glorify God. All life is created by God and is precious. But that leads us to three things. Number one, men and women are uniquely and wonderfully made by God. So if all life is created by God and is precious, then men and women are uniquely made and are wonderfully made by God. When we look back at, at Genesis we see that there's this refrain. It says that God made it and it was good. And then it says it was evening and morning. But when you get to Genesis chapter two, you see in verse 18, it's the first time that God calls something less than stellar or he, he doesn't say it's good. As a matter of fact, it says the Lord God said, it is not good that a man shall be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. You see, all creation was good, but it was incomplete without a woman. And so at the very beginning of creation, all life being precious, God created the family unit. And the family unit was the basis of human flourishing. The family unit was the basis of society. You see, beloved, in our country, we aren't dependent upon our government. Our government is not the dependence and the stability of our nation. The stability of our nation is in the family. 
And that is what God intended for, for a child to be raised in the confines of a safe and loving family that ultimately would glorify God and would point their children to God. Every child needs the image of Christ found in a daddy. Every child needs the image of God that is found in a mom. And beloved, that's why we as God's people need to be aggressively reaching out to care for children who are orphaned, to care for children who are in the foster care system, to give them a complete package of saying, we want to love you. We want to care for you. And we believe that family is where you will find that. Children need families. It is God's institution of human flourishing. When we operate in loving harmony with a husband nourishing his wife through leadership and a wife respecting her husband because of deference for Christ, then we are really showing the world what it means to pre-pro-life. We have a healthy, God-fearing families. We begin to see the, the justice of the kingdom of God truly flow down. Our healthy families create confident children and strong churches, which ultimately change the world. So don't miss it. Being pro-life means being pro-woman, pro-child, and pro-family. And so may our marriages, may our family begin to reflect the glory of God. But this leads us to the second truth. Not only is life created by God and is precious, but life and humanity was created for God. We were created for God. We were not created for ourselves, but we were created for the glory of God. You see verses all throughout God's word, even starting at the very beginning when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The creator created the creation for his glory. John, the apostle, tells us in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then we see Paul tells the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality or pleasure, but the Lord, the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And then following on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Beloved, we were made for the glory of God. You were bought with a price. You are not your own, and therefore we glorify our God. So we defend life because life isn't a choice. Life isn't an inconvenience, but life is a blessing from God for the glory of God. And the third truth we see is that God supernaturally designed us to be satisfied in him alone. We can only truly be satisfied in Christ, in Christ alone. That's why we see in Colossians, this preeminence of Christ. We will not be satisfied in our own trappings. We will not be satisfied in the things that are made by human hands. We can only be satisfied in Christ. We were supernaturally designed to be satisfied in Christ, in Christ alone. The church at Corinth probably most mirrors our modern culture. It was a bastion of art and romance and pleasure. But Paul continues to exhort that church and, and tell them that the things of the flesh and the pleasure of the world will never truly bring satisfaction and peace. The truth, beloved, is we are far too easily pleased. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his work, The Weight of Glory. He says, our desires are not too strong, but they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures 
fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Beloved, life in the womb is precious and life outside of the womb is special. We must never mark our lives or the lives of others as an inconvenience, but we must find pure delight in Christ because he is the Lord. And when we find delight in Christ, then we are willing to do inconceivable things, things that are willing to take us outside of our comfort zone, things that are willing to risk the pleasures of this world for the infinite pleasure that ours is in Christ. But the second takeaway I want you to see from Colossians chapter one is this, we glorify God ultimately by our works of gospel-driven justice towards humanity. The way we glorify God is by doing gospel-driven works towards humanity. And we look at Luke chapter four because Jesus comes to his, his hometown. I learned earlier that this is your pastor's home church and he came back to his hometown and his home church. Jesus goes back to his hometown, is his home church, but he wasn't as well-received back at his home church in his hometown. He comes to the synagogue and Luke's gospel chapter four, it gives us the scene. He comes in and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And what I want us to see is not only was he reading this, this foretelling of the Messiah to say, I am the Messiah, but he was also giving a game plan for his followers of this is what it means to live out a life that is dedicated to me. And so Luke chapter four, starting in verse 18, it, it, it tells us that he unrolled the scroll, the scroll of Isaiah. He found the place where it was written. And he's quoting from Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It says, then, recorded by Luke, the physician, and he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. This is what my teenagers that I have in my home call a mic drop, right? He just says it, he drops the mic, and he walks off the stage. And, and Luke records, and the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus goes into his hometown. He, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 61, one and two. And this passage would have been familiar and hopeful. But then he says, hey, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The people didn't know what to think. Some thought he was just like John the Baptist, a prophet that was coming to foretell the coming Messiah. Others thought that he was a good man or a righteous man that knew a lot. But what they didn't realize is he was the Messiah. But he didn't look like the Messiah that they were looking for because they were looking for a Messiah who would come and, and be a king and, and, and would be a warrior and would take over lands for, for, for Israel. They were looking for a king that would come and make Israel great again. They weren't coming for a suffering servant who said, I have come to care for the poor. I've come to care for the captive and I've come to care for the blind. But beloved, that's exactly what the Messiah came to do. He came to put everything that sin had broken back together again. He came for the oppressed. Beloved, that's just who we were before Christ came into our lives. If you are a Christ follower today, you are no longer oppressed, but you were oppressed. You were oppressed by sin. You were oppressed by, by, by the fallen world. And Christ comes to bring us out of our oppression. 
And beloved, physically, there are no more, there are people no more oppressed than orphans and vulnerable children. Without the hope and security of family, without the hope and the security, they're oppressed. We've called to, we've been called to echo the grace of the Messiah, the grace of Christ Jesus by caring for the oppressed. But also he says he came to see the captives. And we, before we were in Christ, were, were captivated by sin. We're in captive to sin. Today in Alabama, 9,000 kids are in foster care. The current statistics say that 80% of those children have parents that have abused drugs or some type of substance. And because of that, the statistics say that over 70% of the kids today in foster care have had families that have spent at least one day to a year incarcerated and in prison. If we're going to truly care for the captives, we're caring for those, the, 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 those that are, have had situations in prison, that those have physically been captivated and show them that there is liberation in the power of the blood of Christ Jesus. But then also Jesus came to say, I've come to care for the blind. Spiritually, we were blind, but Jesus opened up our eyes. And we've also been called to care for the marginalized who are hurting, who are sick, who are blind, who are deaf, who have some form of a special need. There are children around the world that need us to care for them. And God has called us to do so. But this brings us to the third major takeaway that we see from this passage. And that is that true hope comes from the guarantee of Christ that this fallen world is not our true home. You see, when we're willing to do something this radical, this aggressive, it comes from the belief that this, true home, this world is not our true home, that we were made for another home. I love again the way that John Piper says this. He says, all grace was purchased by the blood of the cross and is emphatically a grace for estranged and hostile sinners. This is the gospel. The gospel is the good news and there is hope for sinners, the worst of sinners, the hope of forgiveness, a weeping harlot saved by faith, the hope of reconciliation, a broken prodigal coming home, the hope of holiness, a leper cleansed by the touch of Jesus. The gospel reminds us that this is not our true home. We're looking for another kingdom, a time where we will be able to walk without fear with our Messiah and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, an eternity in a world that will be healed once and for all. When we realize this is not our home, we start to act a little bit differently. For many of you, you may have had the opportunity to stay in the hotel, right? And you don't treat the hotel room like you would necessarily your home. I hope you treat it well, but you, you still you don't treat it the same way. If you go into a hotel and you notice that something is broken, you probably don't go to the Home Depot or Lowe's to go ahead and fix it for them, right? You call the front desk and you say, hey, this is broken. If a light bulb is out, you don't go to Walmart and get a light bulb and change it, right? You let somebody else do it. Why? Because it's not yours. Now, you want to take care of it and you want to be a caretaker. But beloved, sometimes we act like this world is our home. And we hold on to the things we have with sweaty palms, unwilling to allow the Lord to use those things for his glory. This is not our home. We're living for another home. I love the way that John Newton, he gives this analogy. He says, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a very large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got into the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we would think him. 
If we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile, my carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. Beloved, we sang, we're no longer a slave to sin, but we are a child of God. We are a child of the author, creator, and sustainer of the universe who owns it all. And he's told us that one day we will have come to our true home where we will for eternity live with him. Why are we so worried about sacrificing the things of this temporal when we're living for something that's eternal? When we realize if the guarantee of Christ tells us that this fallen world is not our true home, then we're willing to work to, to put a taste of our true home on the mouth of those we come in contact with. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. This is beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. A marred creation and a sin-sick world should not surprise us or shock us. Sinners sin and lost people act lost. And such were we before we were rushed by the blood of Christ. And so what are we called to do knowing that this is not our home? We're called to put a taste of the coming kingdom on the mouths of the vulnerable and those we come in contact with. If you've been to the mall recently and you see the guy hawking bourbon chicken at the food court, he's not meaning for you to come and make a meal out of the bourbon chicken. He's hoping that that little taste of bourbon chicken on the, on the other end of that toothpick will put just enough taste in your mouth that you go and you buy something you didn't think you wanted. If you've been to a Costco before on Saturdays, they don't put the samples out so that you and your family of five Maybe he's talking from experience here, but that's not the purpose. Go around and make lunch, right? They're not hoping that you take a little of this and a little of this and a little of this and you have lunch. They're hoping that you'll go buy the huge box that you have to put in your pantry that you'll never be able to eat enough of, right? That's what they're hoping. Beloved, our call is this, to put a taste of the kingdom of God on the lips of those that are vulnerable so that ultimately they exalt Christ and they want more of the eternal hope that we have. And so. We come knowing that there's a guarantee we have in Christ from this word, that he is the beginning, verse 18. He is the firstborn of the dead, that in him all might be preeminent. So the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Oh, we serve with the guarantee that this fallen world is not our home, but this brings us to the fourth takeaway. And that is that gospel-driven justice brings trials and suffering, but Jesus brings peace, joy, hope, and strength. If you move on in Colossians chapter one, <clears throat> Paul says this, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings, verse 24, for your sake and in my flesh, I am being filled up with what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Beloved, when we step out to do the work of Christ for the vulnerable, the stranger, and the alien, we can expect that there's going to be trials and suffering. My sweet 
daughter, 12-year-old daughter, Emily, who's actually here with me on the front row. I remember she's a lot like her daddy. We're both early risers. We're the first ones to get up in our home, which is probably why she was the only one that was willing to get up at 5 a.m. this morning to come with me. Uh, But I remember when she was about four years old, one of her favorite things to do was to get up really early, about 5.30, 6 a.m., come into my room knowing that I would probably be waking up soon and flip on the light switch, the overhead light. Now, I can tell you, I, I try to be as pleasant of a person as I possibly can, but if you're in pitch darkness at 5.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning and somebody puts a bright light in your face, it's really hard to be pleasant, right? As a matter of fact, everything that I wanted, that cute little four-year-old girl was to say, turn off the light now. Because when we're in darkness and when we've been in darkness and a bright light comes, it blinds us. In the same way, children that are vulnerable, children in foster care, the 153 million orphans around the world, vulnerable families in our communities, they live in a world of darkness. And when we bring the light of Christ to bear, we can expect that our adversary will attack because he wants to leave them in darkness. Since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, there has been a lot of attack on pro-life ministries, on adoption and foster care organizations. As a matter of fact, even this last week, I was on a radio interview from Philadelphia and was told that they wanted me to come and present the pro-life case from an evangelical evangelical worldview. What I didn't know is that there would be four other people on this radio program all bent to try to attack what I was saying. Every last one of them seeking to attack what I was saying. And in that moment, I knew what the Lord was telling me to do. He said, be winsome, be truthful, and be loving. Beloved, we will come against attack. We will experience suffering. But the Lord is calling us to be winsome, to be truthful, and to speak the truth in great love. But also, when we do something aggressively good on behalf of the gospel of Christ Jesus and trial and suffering comes, know this. There is no greater joy, there is no greater peace, there is no greater strength, and there is no greater hope than is found in those who walk in Christ. He will strengthen you. He will give you peace. He will give you hope. So even for those foster and adoptive families that stood up, when things are hard, when things are tough, when things feel like you cannot continue to take another step, know that you serve a gracious Father who will give you strength who will give you perseverance, who will help you overcome the trials and the suffering. This brings us to our fifth and final point. Verse 23, it says this, it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, listen to this, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Beloved, we've been called to do works of justice. We've been called to care. We've been called to foster. We've been called to adopt. We've been called to care for the vulnerable woman. We've been called to promote life. But if it's divorced from gospel proclamation, then it's devoid of any value. The only thing that will change and reorient lives is the gospel of Christ Jesus. And we must preach the gospel in everything that we do, in every place that we go. 
We have a program that will soon be coming to your church called Families Count. And Families Count is helping families who have lost their kids to foster care be able to be reunified with their children. And just recently, a couple of weeks ago, I heard a testimony from one of the families that had walked through Families Count. And through Families Count, they get a mentor and they have a meal every week and they have transportation and, and they get this gospel-rich parented parenting training. But this mom and dad were given testimony. They said, the thing that reoriented our lives was when we came face to face with who we were in Christ. And we realized that there was hope through Christ Jesus and that we could be a child of God. If all we're doing is trying to change the zip code of a child or, or put them in a better home or, or, or we think that it's our money or our resources or, or, or our way of lives that will change the lives of the vulnerable, then we are wrong. The only thing that will truly change the lives of the vulnerable is the hope of the gospel that is beating in our chest. When we divorce gospel proclamation from justice, it is not justice at all. It is just humanitarian aid. And we've not been called to humanitarian aid, but we've been called to gospel proclamation. Paul says this to the church at Corinth, because I want us to see the urgency of what we've been called to. He says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Verse two, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. And then Paul goes on to say, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We live in a day of sweet grace. We live in a day where God is withholding his judgment and he's offering sweet mercy for our rebellious hearts. But beloved, if you read God's word, you know this day of mercy will not last forever. But there will be a day of judgment and there will be a day of justice. So while it's a day of salvation, let us preach the gospel. There's urgency in preaching the gospel. There's urgency in manifesting the gospel to 153 million orphans and vulnerable children around the world. There is urgency in sharing the gospel with that woman who's going through a crisis or unplanned pregnancy. There's urgency in preaching the gospel to those in foster care. There is urgency in preaching the gospel. We do justice to put the taste on the lips of others so that ultimately, they will see the, our good works and glorify our God who is in heaven. So let us hearken today to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. So as we close our time today, I want to give this invitation. Maybe today you came to Shoal Creek Baptist Church and you sang a song about no longer being a slave to sin, but being a child of God. And you realized you are not a child of God. Today on this Orphan Sunday, I pray that God would call your orphan heart to come and to surrender to him and to surrender his sweet grace. The invitation to make God your father is open to you. What, a, what more beautiful day than Orphan Sunday would it come to come and say, I am no longer a slave to sin, but I am now a child of God. And brothers and sisters, fellow children of God, here's the call for you. What will you do to care for the vulnerable? What will you do to care for orphans and vulnerable children? Maybe God's calling you to pray. My wife several years ago convicted me with this fact. She said, every night we pray over and for our children. But who's praying for the 153 million orphans around the world? Who's caring? Who's praying for the 424 
thousand orphan foster kids in foster care? Who's caring for the praying for the nine thousand kids in Alabama foster care? Would you commit to pray for orphans and vulnerable children? But maybe God's calling you to speak out, to speak out on behalf of these children, to advocate for these children, to tell some others about the plight of the orphan and the vulnerable. Or maybe, maybe just maybe God's calling you to foster or adopt. This is your invitation. Your pastors will be up front. They would love nothing more than to share the grace and the goodness of Christ Jesus with you this morning or tell you how you can learn more about caring for the orphan and the fatherless. Let's pray. Father God, I do pray that during this moment of invitation, whether we come forward or whether we stay in our seats, that you would work in our hearts and minds to call us to what you would have us to do. But Lord, especially if there are men or women or boys and girls that are sitting here today that have never known what it means to be a child of God. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the area of Eurasia, uh, specifically the seven countries that we have the opportunity to work in, which would be Bulgaria, Hungary, Poland, Kyrgyzstan, Macedonia, Ukraine. Uh, and we are so grateful for uh, just the goodness of God and allowing us to work in these countries in Eurasia and to be able to hold high the gospel and to see children uh, reached uh, both through adoption, but also through on the ground services there um, in these seven countries. So let's pray for the countries of Eurasia and let's ask the Lord to truly work in and through these countries, in and through our partners uh, for his glory, his gospel, and for the sake of his name. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for each of our team members in these seven Eurasian countries, uh, for FNA in Bulgaria, for Adam and Cornell in Hungary, uh, for Oleksandr in Poland, for Jalene in Kyrgyzstan, for Monica in Macedonia, for Natasha and Angelina as they continue to work faithfully in Ukraine, even against this great war and conflict, and for Petri and Alex and others who are in Romania. Lord, we just pray you would continue to give them stamina for each of them as they continue to work with families, as they continue to work with ministry officials and still run the ministries that you have entrusted to them in each of these countries. Lord, I pray for continued opportunities to equip the body of Christ there in each of these seven nations to truly care for, love on, and, and disciple the vulnerable around them, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the alien. And Lord, we ask that you would be with our U.S. team uh, on the adoption side who work faithfully with our partners for Jackie, for Brianna, for Brooke, uh, for Anna. We just praise the Lord for them and for the work that they do. And Jaina, as she leads them and cares for them uh, in our Eurasia program. We also pray for our global orphan care leaders there, for Jeremy and for Bucky, as they care for our partners there on the ground uh, in Eurasia. And we pray for continued confidence and wisdom for each of our team members as they navigate relationships with families, as they navigate relationships with our partners on the ground, and as they disciple those uh, in this process. Father, we also pray for the waiting children in these nations. We just ask that they would feel loved and cared for. 
especially in the setting where they currently are at this time, be that in a foster home or be that in an orphanage. Lord, we just pray uh, that, especially for these older kids, that they would know that you were good, that you were great, and that you were coming. We pray for our advocacy efforts for these children and that more families will come forward, especially to uh, adopt older children and these older children with special needs. We pray for in-process families as they wait to travel and receive their child's referral. We, we just ask that you would grant them patience and peace in the process as this is not always easy. The waiting is hard. And Lord, we know that these families are ready, but also Lord, we know in their waiting that you prepare. And so would you prepare these families for what they will face when these children come home? Lord, we pray that we will continue to see growth and movement in these programs that allow more children to come home in 2023, but would also see more church involvement there on the ground. We praise you, Lord, for this growth that we've seen, 34 children uh, who have come home in 2022. We thank you for uh, what we're seeing in Macedonia as the country is reaching out and asking us to relaunch with hopes of, of becoming uh, a place that we can help find, truly find families for children that are waiting. And Lord, we just thank you for all of our, our foreign providers and our in-country partners. We're thankful for everything they do and for our families and how they not only look to bring a child home through adoption, but ultimately they get the mission and the ministry of what Lifeline's trying to do in discipling and pointing these children to the hope of Christ Jesus. So again, Lord God, we pray as we face this new year that you would be with FNA and Adam and Cornell and Alexander and Jalene and Monica, Natasha, Angelina, Alex, and Petri, and that, Lord God, you would help them in their families, help them in their ministry, and that you would give us a productive 2023 as we, see, as we seek to take the gospel to the most vulnerable. It's in your great name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.